From the darkest reaches of space to the deepest corners of your mind. Your mind. Welcome to From the Void. I've always been fascinated with the unknown. As a kid, I'd read anything I could get my hands on if it was about something strange and unusual. My favorite show that I'm sure would come as no one's surprise was The X-Files. And before that, I used to love catching episodes of In Search Of. I know, that dates me a little bit. So it should also come as no surprise that in 2004, when the reality TV show Ghost Hunters aired for the first time, that I, like many others, was hooked. I don't know about the rest of the ghost enthusiasts out there, but I'd never really seen a ghost hunt where modern technology beyond cameras had been used. I found it fascinating and was captivated by the idea that if you put the time in, it was possible to capture evidence beyond some barely discernible audio recording or orbs. They were not impressed by orbs. I am also not impressed by orbs. Guys, it's dust and or bugs. Can we move past the orbs, please? Thank you. I want to see a full apparition of Grandma, or see an object move on its own. Maybe they didn't capture Grandma, but they did capture objects moving. Unexplainable sounds, voices seemingly coming from nowhere, people getting scratched or touched, evidence that I'd never witnessed before. The skeptic in me still says, hey, I need to see this with my own eyes before I really believe. But it's still fascinating to me, and makes me hopeful that as technology continues to improve, and more and more people are interested in the field, that we'll see better and better evidence that will eventually tip the scales to the point where no one can deny that there's something to this phenomenon and it deserves to be taken seriously. This week, I welcome author and investigator James Willis from my own state of Ohio. We talk all about his decades of research in the field and some of his favorite investigations. So welcome to part one of Historic Haunts with James Willis on From the Void. All right. Welcome to the podcast this week. I have with me, uh, and I'm, I'm super excited because October is our is our kind of our spooky month, and so we're, we're talking ghost stories this month. So thank you so much, James Wills, for coming on and uh, spending some of your time with me. It is my pleasure. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. Like it, it I, I've, I stumbled upon your book and then happened to find out, we were just talking before we started recording, that uh, you happen to live very close to me, actually, and so we are both sort of from the uh, sort of Columbus, Ohio area, uh, as it were, and yeah. uh, uh, stumbled upon your book, and I thought, uh, and, I, and I mentioned this before we started recording also, that I thought it was really cool, and, and the book I'm talking about, by the way, is Ohio's Historic Haunts, Investigating the Paranormal in the Buckeye State. A lot of similar books to this are structured in a way where it's sort of just a collection of lore or ghost stories. Yours is that, but you've got other layers to it that I thought made it uh, kind of unique and very cool, where y- you give the lore, but you also tell stories about you know people's actual experiences, and then you go experience it yourself. You call it the vigil, uh, and, and we can talk a little bit about that, but you also go and, and ghost hunt to see what kind of experiences you have. And I've never seen that done before. Uh, as far as I well, thank you for saying all of that. I mean, the check will be in the mail to you for that. That was a, <laughs> a great review. But but no, I appreciate you saying that because um, that's actually what brought Ohio's Historic Haunts to life is um, back then, uh, we're pushing probably 10 years ago when 
um, Kent State University actually approached me and they said, you seem to be like the, the ghost guy in Ohio. And we're interested in uh, sort of putting out a book about Ohio ghosts. But do you have a somewhat unique angle to do that? And I said, of course I did. And my angle was um, that ghosts and ghost stories, even if you can't validate them, have proof of it, that they are part of history. And the ghost story can actually work to keep real history alive. I mean, we've all heard those stories that, you know, uh, see that old house up there? Well, old man Willis built it in 1930-09, and he uh, was six foot tall, and he smoked a pipe, and, and every night he'd go out on his porch and smoke his cherry tobacco pipe. And now if you go up there, even though he's long gone, you can see him lurking around in the windows at night, and you can smell his pipe tobacco. To me, part of it was I could care less whether or not his ghost was really there. It was the fact that that ghost story, walking away from that, I now knew when the house was built, who built it, you know, what all the way down to the kind of flavored pipe tobacco that he smoked. So uh, that was always the angle that I wanted to have. Um, but on top of that, I, I had been actually looking for ghosts since 1985, believe it or not. And I, um, I'm either the most inept ghost hunter out there, or I'm the most honest because it is very rare that I get anything. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I wish it was the, the thing where, hey, if you go out here and you flash your lights three times, the ghost will appear. You know, I wish yeah. that worked that way. You know, or if I went in there and said, if you're here, give us a sign. And it did it, you know, because it would all I would have to do is drive to the location, you know, flash my lights three times, get really cool evidence, have a sandwich and come home and go to bed. <laughs> and so um, I was always looking at the ghost hunt aspect as well how are they doing it how are they actually going and doing those things and so with ohio's historic haunts i was able to combine as you said um each of the locations in the book got its own chapter and i divided the chapter into thirds so the first third was just straight history when it was built who built it what it was used for the second third were the ghost stories, but I wanted to stay away from, well, you know, the folks, the friend of a friend. You know, it was like, well, <laughs> I had a friend who told me he went by and he saw a headless ghost up in the in the in the or ghost group X decided that, you know, because their little squeaky box thing said like that they think there's a ghost of Bert. Like I, I wanted to stay away from that. And so I did one-on-one -on -one interviews with uh, the business owners, the employees, people who believe they had a ghostly encounter. Um, it ended up being, I think it was 220 hours worth of interviews. Wow. Um, and the reason I wanted to do it as one-on-one -on -one is so that anybody reading the book, if they said to me, did that person really encounter a ghost like they're saying? I could say, I don't know. But I looked them dead in the eye across the table, and I could tell that they believed they had a ghostly encounter. And I think that's the strength of the ghost story. And then, as you said, the, the last third of each 
uh, chapter was me getting locked inside of these locations overnight to see if I could encounter anything. And I even went so far as for each vigil. So each time that I spent the night there, I described the different equipment that I brought in. And I also gave a description as to what this equipment was supposed to do. You know, because a lot of these shows, they, they, they walk around with these things. And my favorite is when they have the EMF detector and they walk (laughs) around and they go like, they're walking around with this box and, and they're going 2.3, 2.4, 7.9. And they play spooky music and they go to commercial. (laughs) And I'm like, I, I mean, I don't like math. So it's a little disturbing that they're using numbers, but I'm like, what does that mean? Why are we supposed to be afraid of those numbers? So it was sort of unpacking it in that regard to be like, I'm using this because they say it does this. So it was, it was a nice way to kind of wrap it together. And the fact that Kent state university was backing it, that's one of, if not the only time I'm aware of that a university was backing a quote unquote ghost book. Yeah. And I, I would have to imagine that from the, um, history aspect uh it's probably the most researched thoroughly researched in that regard i you know from a from my background you know i i love history so much i went out and got a degree in it that you know is very useful now i (laughs) but you know but uh but i love i love the research aspect of it and some of the ghost hunting shows out there and we can talk a little bit about that too but some of the ghost hunting shows now are starting to engage that that piece of it uh and i wish they had done that from the jump because like when we're when we're talking about phenomenon and you're you're using equipment and you're like I th- you know you mentioned Bert you know you're assuming that you made contact with an entity named Bert then I- I'd like to see some historical research that kind of connects that and says it legitimizes it in a way because you know you've got a guy named Bert who lived there in 1924 and and died in the home whatever um but it's it's more of a, it seems like more of a recent phenomenon where these shows and ghost hunters are, are starting to do that piece of it on top of, uh, you know, the, the experience, the, the investigation. You're, yeah, you're exactly right. And that was the reason why I, because nobody was doing it at the time. And for me, again, I, if I went again, way back when, when I first got into this, when people would say to me, well, there's a ghost of a woman and she's walking around in the woods and she's got a white dress on. I thought it was a normal question to ask, but nobody else was asking. I'd be like, well, who is she? Why is she out in the woods? You know, and and it, and so I wanted to always unpack because to me, if somebody says, again, there's a ghost of a woman in a white dress haunting these woods, in my personal opinion, there are so many layers that you need to get down to, to validate that that is a haunting. Now, if you just want to go scare each other, that's fine. And I think that's what the ghost shows morphed into is because, I mean, I get it. Reality television. Those are two words that really, you know, shouldn't be put together. And, and so I understand that it's, you know, it's for ratings, but what for me personally, again, I always say this, in the very early days of ghost reality shows were very similar to what actual researchers were doing. But the bottom line is it's not really sexy. 
You know, I need to show people reading books. You know, I think it's sexy, but that's just me. I'm a weirdo. But, you know, it, it doesn't make for great television. I get that. And so what happened is you had to up the ante a little bit to get it more entertaining. I, 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 I honestly don't know when it happened that we were supposed to be frightened of ghosts or when all of a sudden the ghosts were going to get us. Yeah, I, I get it from a from a television show perspective or even for like a Halloween thing. But I have always felt sadness for many of the ghosts. And I think that when you boil it down, I firmly believe that ghosts and I believe that they exist. I think many of them are just like us in that they don't want to be forgotten. Hmm. And so I think... A lot of you hear these stories where somebody say, well, there's a negative entity in there because we got this EVP and it sounds like it's yelling or it a glass got knocked across there. So, it, you know, it's going to get us. And I'm like, why? I, I a term that I use is I, I call it the Beetlejuice effect where, you know, and if any of your listeners have not watched Beetlejuice, that's that's very sad. That might be a sin. Yeah. Um, yes. I, I believe it is. I believe it is. But um, in Beetlejuice, and I, I guess I should say spoiler alert if you haven't seen it, but when the people in the house died and then they have the, the uh, unwanted people move into their house and they decide they're going to try to scare them and get them to leave and it's not working. And so they go to their caseworker and they keep getting told, well, did you read the handbook? Did you read the handbook? (laughs) You know, I always say, God forbid, but if I were to pass away tonight, I don't know, even with all my years of research, how I could, even if I could, communicate with my loved ones. So I hadn't read the handbook. So I think many times when say a glass flies across the table or something that looks aggressive or negative, They're just trying to figure out how to get us to stop and look and be like, okay, I get you. Maybe that EVP of something is screaming is because it's talking and you haven't been listening. Maybe it's frustrated that it can't. So I think the whole idea that these ghosts are going to get us. I mean, I mean, heck, there's a there's a reality show called When Ghosts Attack. Well, that's that's totally real. Um, You know, um, (laughs) I think that ghosts have been given a bad name. You know, as I said, I have always, it used to break my heart when you would hear those traditional stories of this husband and wife, they built their, their, their big mansion. They were going to spend eternity together. And then he gets called off to, you know, the war, you know, mm-hmm. and they, they, whatever war. And so she waits for him and he never comes back and she would wait in the window or up at the widow's walk or whatever you want to call it for him to come back. And now supposedly you can see her ghost up in that window. That is utterly heartbreaking to me to think that that woman was so in love that she was going to wait for him to come back. And now when, you know, she had to go to the light or go wherever she's still waiting and he's not coming back. That, that to me is heartbreaking. And then to find historical documentation that, yeah, that lady really did exist. I, 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 think, I think these reality shows have made ghosts and their ghost history uh, props 
you know, and, and I think that's, I think that's a big miss. Again, I always have to say, in my opinion, <laughs> you know, it's not, <laughs> I'm not speaking for anyone other than myself, but it's, I, I think we need to go back and treat ghosts with the same respect that we should treat other living people. I think that that's a big miss. Yeah, I completely agree. I think, um, you know, to, uh, gosh, almost 20 years ago now, I think when the first uh, of of the ghost hunting shows came out, um, you know, there's a big difference to me between uh, some of the earlier ones that are still around that not everything's like a huge, uh, how do I put this? We'll say some of the newer, the other ones that are out there that are a little more sensationalized everything's always a demon. You know, that yes. always drives me nuts. Everything, yeah. everything's a demon. They're yelling at the ghosts and stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, what are you doing? You know? And, 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 and so then you see these other, the other shows and it, you know, like you said, they're trying to understand the history. They're trying to speak, you know, to the, to the spirit. And, you know, it's, that seems more likely to me. And they're, and they're, they've even been a little more realistic in terms of, you have no idea how much, of this footage ends up on the cutting room floor because we're sitting around for hours and hours and hours where nothing's happening. Yes. For enough content to put into an episode for 45 minutes. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's, it's always interesting because you're right. If, if you go back and look at say the first season of ghost hunters, Mm -hmm. there is an episode. I don't recall where they, they had gone to a private residence and they had driven around in their their renovated, you know, um, Roto Rooter van. Yep. And and I think their that their office at that point was just like a, a double wide that was in the front of their property. So yes. they hadn't really <laughs> but they they drove all the way out there, they they drove all the way back, they look at all the evidence, and there was nothing. Mm-hmm. There was nothing. And so they have a conversation which is you know, we really didn't get anything. If we have to drive all the way back out there and tell them, show them we didn't get anything, my wife's going to be mad that I'm gone for another weekend. You know, my kids got this going on or whatever it was. And they decide, let's just call them and have yeah. a conversation and tell them. And that is reality. That's yeah. how it is. It's not as glorious as it is. You really have to love what you're doing. But again, I think what happened is over the years, you had to be more entertaining. And so you had to get more and more results. I think one of, for me, one of the reasons why um, there's a segment in the paranormal community that kind of bristles every time they hear me say this, but if I am being perfectly honest, I believe in ghosts but I don't know what they are. I don't know how they are capable of doing the things that they allegedly do. The part where everybody bristles is I don't believe anybody knows because if somebody did know the rest of us couldn't doubt their existence, there would be proof. And I don't think that is a bad thing. Unfortunately in today's society even outside of the reality shows but everything has got to get wrapped up you have to have the answers to everything otherwise you're not smart for lack of a better term you have to have all of the answers and i willingly say i never 
ever want to have all of the answers because how boring of a world would I be living in if I was like, well, I know everything and I know all the answers <laughs> and I know, you know, don't talk to me about that because I know what, I mean, I, that would be boring. I think it is, I think the ghost community in general, we need to get back to that, what got us into it originally. And I have thankfully never lost that desire to find answers just go out saying, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to try to figure it out. I don't know why it did that. Let me see if I can figure it out. It's it's okay to say, I don't know, but let me look into it more. Man, you're, you're uh, preaching to the choir on this one. I, you know, <laughs> my, my other podcast is about spirituality, and we talk about this all the time. It's just this neat, humans just hate ambiguity. You know, we, yeah, we have to have do. things clearly defined and figured out or it drives us nuts. And like, just let it go, you know? Yes. Yeah. It, it's okay that we don't have all of the answers. Yeah. It's okay. Ah, oh, totally agree. So but I, we kind of dove in a little bit here, but I, I want to backtrack a little bit and find out the history behind, like, how did you get into this topic in the first place? So we've talked a little bit about your love of history, obviously, and, and of uh, the paranormal world. What uh, did you have an experience per se that that kind of got you interested or just the subject in general? Uh, well, for all of it, I blame my parents. Um, they are um, they are to blame for not only noticing that I was a weird child, but embracing it. <laughs> um, and part of that came through um, when I was in kindergarten, I was reading at a fifth grade level. My mom used to say that I didn't read books. I devoured them. And for whatever reason, I wanted to go. I, I will still remember this, that my mom like sat me down and she said that she had to write a note and got me permission that when we went to the elementary school, because kindergarten and all, I think it was up to grade six, I think at that point was all in the same thing. When we went she got me permission that normally kindergartners, when they went to the school library, they just had the like little section that yeah. they could go with the picture books. I, I got permission from my mom and they allowed me that I could take out any book I wanted. And to me, that was just opening up. And I always wanted, man, I'm really dating myself now. The old <laughs> card catalog, when you could go to the back of the book and they had the stamp of the date that it was checked out. Oh, yeah. I wanted the last stamp in there. I, it had to be really, really old. If it was all the way up on a top shelf, hidden away somewhere, I thought that that was like the hidden knowledge, like I that nobody <laughs> else had checked that out. But the other reason that I blame my parents is because I was born and raised in Orange County, New York, uh, in the Hudson Valley. And so it's a weird place. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was, I mean, if you look at it across the board and what I fell into is they are famous for having UFO flaps all through like the eighties. Yes, You're not too far away from assorted serial killers, the son mm -hmm. of Sam, the Amityville horror house, you know, all of this stuff. But the very first thing, what got me into this looking at what's true and what's not was we lived not too far away from Terrytown, which is, um, it's sleepy hollow. And it is, um, that became the big fall trip 
for schools. You would go up there and you would go to, to Terrytown. Now they've actually cut off a chunk of Terrytown and it is called Sleepy Hollow. Yes. Um, yep. <laughs> but back then it was just Terrytown and you would go up there and for an elementary school teacher, it was our big fall trip. You go up there and you're supposed to just you hear the telling of, you know, Washington Irving's um, Legend of Sleepy Hollow and then, you know, drink and eat everything made out of apples, you know, and then you come back home. <laughs> but my this one particular teacher, the first time that we went up there on a class trip, uh, she decided that she was going to convince us that the Legend of Sleepy Hollow was a true story. And how she did that was we all read it in class before we went. And then when we went up there, she took us out to the different places. So she took us to the, to the old Dutch burying grounds, um, the bridge, which was obviously a redone bridge, but she was saying, this is the site of where the original bridge, you know, the headless horseman could cross it. And then what to me was a light bulb moment was, In the cemetery, she started pointing out the graves of the characters. They are are indeed buried there. And so at that point, when we were going home, I remember just thinking, "But, but how could that be true? Because it's, you know, it's called the legend of Sleepy Hollow, you know, and, and I mean, it, we got the whole thing about the Hessians and, you know, and what they represented. So it was tied to history. And, you know, but I started looking into what, how could this all be true? And I found out rather quickly that Washington Irving, when he was up in the Catskill Mountains and all around in that entire area, he loved that. I mean, so much that that whole area is a setting for a lot of his short stories. I mean, Rip Van Winkle goes to sleep, you know, takes his little nap in that area as well. But he basically, when he went into Tarrytown, he loved the setting. And so he just started uh, borrowing, I guess we should say, what he saw, including some of the names off the tombstones. So that's how the characters became he just liked the names and and i'd like to say you know that i i think he felt um a bit of kindred spirits perhaps shall we say with Terrytown because washington irving is now buried in that same cemetery so you can see his grave as well um but that's what led me to think okay well these portions of this story aren't true what part of other ghost stories aren't true and what ones are. And that's what sent me down the path of trying to distinguish between folklore, legends, and and history. And then finally, I will admit it, that um, when Ghostbusters came out in the 80s, um, when I was reading a review in the newspaper about it, they said that some of the equipment that the Ghostbusters were using in the movie was based off of actual equipment parapsychologists use to detect ghosts. And at that point I was like, wait, so you can use equipment? And and then (laughs) that set me off. So yeah. And all of that was happening in a New York state where my parents (laughs) born and raised up there. So yeah. So they're partially to blame. 
That's incredible. And uh, what's interesting is uh, not only, you know, because you talk about um, preserving history. And, and I, by the way, I love your quote at the beginning of the book where you see where you say ghosts exist to keep history alive. Well, based on what you describe, it almost helps keep geography alive as well, because now, I mean, you mentioned Sleepy Hollow and, and that pops up on my Instagram. It's a travel destination now where yes. people go and get to see what the area looked like and experience the, you know, the history of it, like in real, you know, in person. Yeah, they, uh, you're exactly right. They, it is a, a place that has embraced the idea of not necessarily spookiness. I mean, you're getting it with the story, but they are, I don't even want to call it like the darker side of history because there's a lot darker things than that. But yes, <laughs> yeah. they do. As as I said, they carved out a little part and they were like, okay, well, this is all the stuff that's in the short story. So yeah, this is officially Sleepy Hollow. In a different way, you could sort of look at um, Salem with yes. the, the witchcraft trials, you know? And I mean, they they have sort of embraced the, the witch aspect, if you will, with that. Um, so, yeah, it is a way that they are keeping the, the weird history alive. Yeah. And on top of that, I know, you know, a lot of these places that, uh, you know, are, are purportedly haunted, you know, some of these places are abandoned buildings and structures that are now being uh, essentially kept alive because, People want to go check it out and they're willing to pay to go visit them. And, and, you know, like Mansfield prison, for example, you know, I'm sure they make a, a good deal of money now every, every fall. Cause you can go and do real ghost hunts and they also turn it, I think into a haunted house. They did. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that is an a Mansfield is an interesting way. There's a couple of others that are kind of around most of the, um, older prisons that are still standing. So there's like Eastern state penitentiary. There's uh, Moundsville. They have kind of looked or leaned into the idea of, okay, are we haunted? Um, but they do sometimes have to do that dance where mm-hmm. it's like, well, we're not saying we're haunted, but you can come and check it out if you want to. But here's the history that goes along with it as well, the real history. So they do f- feel the need to kind of separate the two. And I totally get that as well. I mean, there were for a number of my books, but specifically um, Ohio's historic haunts is when I reached out to the locations, all that they needed was to meet the criteria was well, one, they had to be in Ohio. They had to be historically significant and they had to have a reputation as possibly being haunted. And so I thought they're going to come out of the woodwork for this. Um, I ended up with, I think, 21. But amazingly, we were over 600 locations that were contacted. Um, And some of them said no because they said, we're not sure if we're haunted, but we are a public building that people come in, school children come into, and we don't want that side to really get played up. Um, And I got that, although I I often countered with, well, if you've ever been at one of my presentations in the elementary schools where they tell me, okay, you could talk about weird things in Ohio, but you know, no, no guts, no gore, no, you know, and I'm like, okay. And so I talk about, you know, like 
Bigfoot, but he's not scary and this and this. And then it, it never fails where, you know, the, the hands go up and I'm like, okay, yeah, you have a question. And they're like, do you know the story about that guy that ate the other guy's head? And then and I'm like, <laughs> I'm looking at the teachers and going, this is not me. This is where they're coming from. So, um, but I get it. You, you do have to sometimes balance the, the history with a little bit of scary stuff. You know, it's, 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 it's a little dance that has to be done. The flip side of that, which I've seen, and a lot of these locations have talked to me, is that once you open up a location and you say it might be haunted and you're going to charge however much you're going to charge per person, let's just say it's $25. It's nowhere near that. It's a lot more, but... <laughs> You have people that are now going in and they have paid a lot of money to go into this haunted location that they've gone out and they've got all the equipment that is very, very expensive. They've watched all these shows. They, they think they know what's going to happen. Something's going to happen for them. Even if it's nothing at all, they are going to see something or hear something because they've almost been predisposed to the idea that you're going into a haunted place and this stuff is going to validate the haunting for you and it's going to be really scary. And so they're like, I'm not going to be out my money. You know, I'm not going to come home and they're like, did you get anything? No, absolutely nothing. Um, so you have to kind of watch because a lot of times they'll go into these locations and you'll hear these stories and I'm like, I don't even know how that's possible for that to happen. You know, it picked me up and it threw me down the stairs and it, it and I'm like, I don't, I don't even know how that's, possible yeah. and yeah. for me i think you have to be very these locations i always tell them you have to look at what people are telling you look at what their evidence is and then look at it and say i'm not really sure of that because it a lot of times it becomes who's who's controlling the narrative because if we go back to the again that thing where it, it went burp and we said oh it's it's burp is your name Bert? And then it goes, and they're like, it said, yes, a Bert lived here. And and they, then they, they don't always say like, what year were you born? They always say, did you die here? You know? And all of a sudden this narrative that's based off, it's based off of a radio that they've just clipped the tuner off of so that it's spinning wildly. So, but now you, somebody has now changed the narrative and created this person and not even gone back to what you had mentioned earlier. Hey, was there a bird here? You know, was there, you know, there's no validation. So it's something I tell these locations, you have to be very, very persistent in making sure that you are controlling the narrative and what people are telling you, they can back up with something that at least appears to be legitimate. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. If you enjoyed it or any of the previous episodes, consider rating, reviewing, and sharing with a friend. We'll be back next week with part two of my interview with James Willis. And until then, thanks for listening to From the Void. <laughs>